With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. I love animated films. So when I got the chance to talk with Ana Ramirez Gonzalez, an artist at Pixar Animation, I had a million questions. You've seen Anna's work on Coco, her incredible Google Doodles like Gati Horado, and her illustrations in the new children's book, Kamala and Maya's Big Idea, which tells the real-life story of Kamala Harris and her sister Maya's plan to build a neighborhood playground. Today, Anna gives us a glimpse into the magic and teamwork that makes films like Coco so special and tells us how weaving her culture into her work helped her land and then excel at her dream job. Anna, if I opened up one of your notebooks from grade school and high school, how much doodling would I find in the margins? You know, not that much. I didn't used to draw growing up because I was a figure ice skater. And I skated competitively since I was six, uh, up until I was like 15 or something. Then my mom was like, hey, why don't you take a drawing class? I'm so happy that she did and so glad that they would even suggest art school for me. In high school, actually, she kind of almost forced me to take this drawing class or against my will almost. But she was like, just try it out. If you don't like it, you don't have to go back, you know, but please give it a try. Like, I think you might like it. And so she drove me to like my first drawing class and I was like, ugh. But then I like loved it. Like after the first session, I was like, this, this rules, this is the best. Like, this is what I want to do forever. I didn't actually start drawing until I was maybe 17 or six. Yeah, 17 or something. When did you first decide to move to the States? So my mom has a cousin who lives in Chicago who, you know, she was like, hey, like, can she go live with you for a year? 
So my aunt was an angel and she took me in for a year and I lived in Chicago and, you know, that exposed me to a lot. Like it was kind of a huge cultural clash for me because I grew up, you know, kind of sheltered and, you know, in my small community and knew everybody there. And it was just for a year, but it, I think it really shaped, you know, my view on things and like, you know, my world. And so after that, I went back to Mexico and then I, you know, found, you know, started doing research once I started taking drawing classes. And my my sister's best friend from childhood, who's also my friend, his name's Alonso. He was studying at CalArts at the time in LA, in California. So I met up with Alonso that summer. And it was a summer before I graduated high school. And he showed me his portfolio that he applied with. And I just like, I was like, I have to do this. And I was like, how can this be college? I was like, I have to go to the school. And I'm like a very stubborn person. And so sort of obsessive sometimes when it comes to like things that I really want to do. And I applied that year, but I didn't get in. So then I moved to France and I went there for like two years. And it really helped me to start building my portfolio for CalArts. Because in my mom and my dad's head, I was just going to stay in France and I was going to graduate there. But I was still like, no, I have to go to CalArts because that's my dream. My dad was really worried when I applied to the school again, because I think they also didn't really think that I would get in. When I applied again after two years of the first time I got rejected, I did get in and I had such a good time and it was magical. So I mostly decided to move to the U.S. because I just really wanted to go to the school. And that was like the main reason and the drive for me to come here. And because I loved animation and like film industries here, but all my family is still in Mexico. It's just me here. How did you land that first job after school? (gasps) My first job. So it was actually during school because at CalArts, we have a day called Portfolio Day. And it's a day in which a lot of people from the industry, from the animation industry, go to the school and look at our work. So there's like tables laid out in the main gallery and like students from first to fourth year, plus like after you graduate, there's also a space for them. So stressful. I know it's so stressful. It's yeah, it's very like nerve wracking and like, but it's like really exciting too, because everyone's working towards that. So that year, my mom was visiting because she she came up to visit me and and she was staying with me. And, and then I, I stayed up, like I pulled an all-nighter and she stayed up with me the day before printing stuff out and like laying out my portfolio and decorating it. So we laid them out on these tables, right? And this was my third year. And I went in the morning, you lay them out at like 8 a.m. You leave them there and then you leave. Like you're not even present to show your work, like you disappear. And then there's like this blackboard at the end of the hallway with, you know, the lists of every studio that's attending. And, you know, like three hours later, they write the names of the people they want to talk to based on like what they think about that work. I had never been called by Pixar or anything. Like I was not targeting Pixar at all because I'm like, how? Like, you know, it just was not in my radar because they were incredible. So I was like, whatever, I just want an internship anywhere (laughs) or a job, like something. I went back to my house with my mom and we both kind of fell asleep for that time because we were so tired. And then I got a call from my roommate who was at at school and she was like, oh, my God, 
Anna, you have to get here right away. Like, come here. Your name is under the Pixar list. And I was like, what? No way. And I remember like jumping around with my mom. <laughs> and then we like went to the school and like, indeed, my name was on the list. And then I talked to Harley Jessup, who production designed Coco. And he was doing the interviews like himself. So I talked to him and he was like, oh, I love your portfolio. Like, it seems like you really love drawing from like different cultures. And, you know, I love how you're like, you know, so colorful, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, send us your portfolio and we'll get back to you. And actually, my mom took a photo of that list of the portfolio list. And she sends it to me every once in a while. And she's like, remember? And, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> We're like, it's like my name under so like sweet. Pixar. It's very sweet. Yeah. But then eventually they got back to me and they called. And I was happy. I, I, I happened to be touring Disney Imagineering that day because I was selected with a group of other students to go pitch stuff to Imagineers, which was super cool. And I was on that tour with my friends. And then that day I found out. They called me and they're like, yeah, we just want to let you know you got the internship. And, you know, I graduated college. I didn't have a job. I applied to like 15 jobs or so and didn't get any of them um, until eventually I, I got one. And I worked there for a little bit, but then they weren't willing to sponsor me because I know it's not easy for everybody. So I left because I'm like, well, what am I doing here? You know, it's not for the money as much as like I also really need you know, to get sponsored so I can stay in the country. So I left and then I kept applying to jobs and then I landed a job with Google Doodles with Google and I started freelancing for them and doing, you know, Google Doodles for like Mexican Independence Day. And then we were like in a, you know, having, starting the conversation of, you know, potentially converting me into like full time and stuff. And I was very excited about that. In that same month, I got a call from Harley or an email asking what I was doing. He's like, you know, I'm assuming you're probably super busy with your new job. <laughs> and then he's like, but, you know, I just wanted to kind of ask, you know, if you were interested in coming back. And I was like, oh, my God, yes. And so I joined and I moved to the Bay Area like two weeks after that email. And I started working on Coco. And I worked on that for like three years or so. What does a visual development artist do? Like, what does the day-to-day -day look like? Um, visual development, it's... We design everything that you see, basically, in the movie. We design, you know, costume design, character design, sets, uh, color, and, and props as well. Of course, not by ourselves. Like, we do first pass. So most visual developments draw by hand, you know, on on paper or in Photoshop, just mostly concepts. And we also contribute a lot of concept art to help storytelling as well. So we support storytelling with visuals. And once we come up with a concept, then we send it to the 3D department, you know, modelers and people who model the characters in 3D and model the sets in 3D and rig the characters. And then they send it to animation who animate it. Wait, what do you mean rig the characters? What does that mean? Rig is like articulation. I, for example, as a visual development artist, it's our job to draw the characters and design them, right? Then once a, a concept is approved, then they send it to um, the modeler who will do it in 3D. So it's like sculpting in 3D. 
And then that person may articulate it or not, or send it to somebody who will rig it. And rigging is when they make it so, you know, instead of it just being like a stiff sculpture, it has articulation so that you can start moving it and, you know, turn it into a puppet type thing. So then they send it to animation. So animation animates the model that has been rigged and modeled. And, you know, then there's like shader who adds like texture and like the color based on what we design and we give them as well. So, yeah, there's a a lot of people involved. In my job, for example, I also help with storytelling a lot because sometimes if I work with a new director and they're just working on their pitch before it even is greenlit, then it's my job to support their ideas and then come up with like you know, visuals, but also explore further and be like, hey, I took your idea and I thought about this other thing too. Like, wouldn't it be cool if the characters could do this or that and then support that with like drawings? So how much of the of your time, of your creative time, do you spend actually drawing and how much of it do you spend in a process that gets you to the place where you're ready to draw? Ooh, that's a very good question, actually. You know, research takes the longest. For example, if I, if I, we usually have reviews every week. So I'll check in with somebody every Friday, but I, but I get a kickoff on Mondays. So on Mondays or maybe after the review, then I get next steps. But, you know, usually if we talk about a week, maybe Monday is when I, I'm told what I'm going to be working on and Friday is when I deliver. So from Monday through like almost Thursday, I'm just doing research and, you know, Googling stuff or like on Pinterest or, you know, re- like look at books in the library at, at Pixar or talk to people or ask people about certain things that I'm like trying to research about. So it's all of that. Like first, like just compiling a bunch of stuff. And then after that, I kind of have to start, you know, really choose picking and choosing what works the best for the idea that I'm trying to convey. And then I put that in like a keynote or a presentation, like usually at Pixar, I like printing out boards. Now that we're not able to do that, I've been using keynote. So I just compile all the reference there and write notes and kind of try to organize everything. And then once I have that, then I get into sketching and I'm like, based on the reference that I already have, what else can I build on top of this? Um, so then I just start, you know, coming up with ideas based on all that research that I already did, which makes it so much easier than just like trying to look inside your imagination (laughs) to find an idea. So I do really do need to do a lot of research to support my work. And I think it makes it stronger. Is there something that's getting in the way of your happiness or that's preventing you from achieving your goals? I have found in my own life that talking with someone can make a big difference, but sometimes the logistics, finding the right person, the time to connect, makes things complicated. BetterHelp Online Counseling connects you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp's licensed professional counselors specialize in everything from depression to relationships to self-esteem. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Best of all, it's an affordable option. Latina to Latina listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code LATINA. 
So why not join 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health? Go to betterhelp.com slash Latina. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Latina. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? (laughs) They do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. So when I watch Coco, where are your fingerprints? Where can I see them? Oh my God. Um, There's a lot. There's so the opening, for example, the opening of the film with the papel picado, all of that I helped design and I did a lot of those drawings by hand. That was really cool to work on because that was done in 2D. So my drawings were used as I delivered it to them. Because usually, you know, I draw and then someone else models it and stuff. But in this case, it was just like my actual drawings were in the shot. So that was really cool. So I helped design the opening. And then, you know, I I designed all the patterns and stuff for Mama Coco's costume and the dancers in the opening as well. And did a lot of costume design for like Miguel too and his mariachi outfit and Dela Cruz and the set in which they sing Poco Loco with like the skull in the back. And I worked a lot in that set and I did a lot of uh, graphics for that set as well. So all the big billboards that you see in the background, I did a lot of those as well. What was it like the first time you got to see it finished? Oh, it was, it was, it was weird because I had already seen so many versions of it that I, it didn't really hit me that it was done, done. But it is always extremely surprising to see the films finished because there's so much that you don't see. 
and like so much that they add at the end, you know, like lighting is incredible and they always make it look like so much better than like the last time we saw it, you know, every department betters your work. But I think I mostly just really felt emotional because my parents went to the premiere with me and my sister was there too. I just like seeing their faces and how proud they were and like they were crying and just like so happy to be there. And I think it just hit me all at once. Like, oh yeah, I think I've been working nonstop on this thing that I haven't really taken the time to think about what this means for me and like my family and like the Mexican culture too. So it was really nice. Like in just going to Mexico after that and seeing how into it people were and how much they loved the songs and like the movie. It's like, I don't know. It really made me very, very proud. It was great. It's so beautiful. Oh. I, can't, I can't even think about it without crying. <laughs> <laughs> I always cry too at the end now. And it's a very nostalgic time of my life too, because I think I was going through a lot of transitions, but the only thing that was like keeping me afloat was like the passion that I had to work on this movie. So it's very special. It is incredibly special. Um, <laughs> You're going to make me cry too. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I cry um, so easily. <laughs> it just, it, it has layers to it, right? Where it's like you watch it the first time. And, and even though I am not Mexican or Mexican-American, just the pride as a Latina in the fact that there is any representation of our culture, but then also as someone who is deeply invested in the question of immigration and migrancy and people's ability to move and to be with their family. It just in such a sort of beautiful way captures all of that and the timing of the movie and the timing of the release of the movie and how then we had child separation happening in the background. I mean, it just, it couldn't have arrived at a better moment. I agree. Yeah, it was very powerful to see people's reaction to it. I think it was very helpful for me to get me thinking about a lot of those like subjects and, and what I need to get better at and use my voice for in the future. Kamala and Maya's Big Idea is the second book you have illustrated. The first is Maybe Tomorrow, which is a children's book about loss, grief, and empathy. I'm going to buy it. It looks so good. Oh, thank um, you. It's so beautiful. How is illustrating a book different than illustrating a film? Oh, it's very different. Actually, my first one was Miguel and was the Coco. Grand Harmony. Yeah, the yeah. Coco book. Yeah. So that I couldn't tell which one came first. Okay, so your first one is that. Yeah. So that really opened the doors for me. Like it was crazy because I had always wanted to try illustrating children's books because, you know, I grew up on children's books and my mom would literally take us to the book fair every year and like just buy us a ton of books. And I love them. Like I just loved looking at them. So because I grew up with them, I wanted to get the chance to do it too. When I was working on Coco, I once, you know, met the uh, person in charge of the creative department of publishing at Pixar. And I was like, hey, Scott, if you ever look or need people to illustrate these books, like I would love to, like, I just wanted to let you know that I'm super interested if that was ever an option, you know, just putting it out there. Uh, he was like, yeah, 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 we'll keep you in mind. And this was like during my internship when I was just trying to like make friends and like connect with people and stuff. But then once I came back and like started working on the film, I had sort of forgotten about that. But then 
Scott remembered, and then he brought me up in one of the meetings. And then, you know, Lee and Harley were on board and they're like, yeah, she'd be great for it and perfect. And they were obviously, you know, trying to get Mexican or Latinx artists to work on on these books. So it really worked out for me. And it was like an incredible opportunity that, you know, has really opened so many new doors for me. So I'm so grateful for that. And so that was my first one. Second one was Maybe Tomorrow, which I got because of the publicity that, you know, the Coco book got. So then Scholastic reached out to me and we're like, hey, like, we would love to work with you. So I was really cool. And, and then, you know, and so on. Then I got an agent and all of this, but yeah. So the process is very different in some ways, you know, when I'm doing the sketches for the books, it's pretty much storyboarding because you're trying to convey a lot with one image. Right. And in fact, I think this is even more raw. It's a, it's a, the most raw way of storytelling in my opinion, because you have to say so much with so little. So it's like really trying to be smart and with what you do put down on the pages and like how you can convey the story and the ideas behind it the best. Um, so it's, you know, storyboarding and finding the right shots and, and the right compositions that in any emotions in the characters. Um, and also the creative process is very different because I actually don't really communicate with the authors, which is crazy to me. We usually Wait, communicate. What? Yeah. Like we usually communicate through our editors um, who are, you know, help with help facilitate that and they talk to the writer and we t then they talk to us like who matches the person who writes the book with the person who illustrates the book our agents do for maybe tomorrow because i didn't have an agent at the time she scholastic reached out directly to me and then you know we worked it out together and i think it's because they saw the Coco book and then they showed my work to Charlotte and then Charlotte liked it. So they're like, yeah, let's like ask her. Um, but then usually if you have an agent, it goes through your agent. With Kamala and Maya's big idea, you were illustrating real people in a real neighborhood. How much did you rely on actual pictures and images as you were illustrating? At the beginning of the story, like the characters don't have anything, you know, they just start with like an empty... Uh, patio or backyard and you know the whole point is that they beautify it in the process and they work really hard to to make those changes and like come together as a community to make those changes so I wanted to like add all these flowers and like details from the very beginning and then they're like no no like we we can see that at the end but like we we kind of have to tone it down and it has to feel like a little bit more stale in like the first half and then as the story progresses and you can feel free to add like more details here and there. But it was in like the most decorative book I've ever done, I think, because of the context, too. Here's my last question to you, which is um, for a fellow Latina who is listening, who wants to have a career in illustration and animation. What is your best advice? There's like so much. But I think my best advice is to... Like, do what your heart tells you. Ultimately, I think a lot of people, I, I've noticed that a lot of people, especially when it comes to the arts, are hesitant to, like, go into the arts because they think, you know, I maybe might never be able to make money out of this or, you know, it's very competitive. It's hard or it's a lot of work. But 
everything good in life is, you know, everything is competitive. Everything is difficult. If you want to be good at it, everything takes time. So I think you should just always do what you love and you shouldn't be afraid to ask, you know, questions and for feedback and like reach out to people that you're inspired by and ask them how they got there because that might inspire you or they might have some resources that will help you. Asking for help in my experience has been a very rewarding thing. Also sharing your work is very important because if you don't share your work, no one will find it. But if you have like an Instagram, for example, or, you know, a Tumblr or something, you can share your work there and people can see your work and your progress and like give you specific notes based on, you know, your specific case and like your art as well. Also, always try to draw from your personal experiences. I think that's very important. And that's something that I learned, you know, later in life, like in school, I think I was just studying a lot of the same artists that everybody else was and like copying them. And I think that's good to a certain extent because it helps you, you know, figure out how they did what they did that made their work so good. I think what people will ultimately respond the most to is the work that is coming from your own perspective, because no one can deny that that is your own thing. In my experience, for example, if I hadn't drawn from my own culture and the things that inspire me from Mexico in that one specific portfolio, I don't think I would have gotten the internship. I think the reason why I was noticed or like my work was noticed was because of the content that I put in it. So I think just always pulling from your own experiences and telling your own stories is the most valuable thing in my experience. Anna, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Of course. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Congratulations. The book is beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited for people to see it. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua-Williams and me, Alicia Menendez. Virginia Lora is our managing producer. Cedric Wilson is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our social media editor. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you are listening. And please, please leave a review. It is one of the fastest, easiest ways to help us grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.